0: Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. This episode is for all the early career speeches. Let's listen now. Hello and welcome to the Speak Up podcast. My name is Katie Davey, and I'm a Speech Pathology Australia student coordinator for the Queensland branch. Today, it's my absolute pleasure to interview Claire Zhang at the 2019 National Conference. So a bit about Claire. Claire graduated from the University of Queensland in 2016. Since then, she has rotated through all four specialist caseloads at the Queensland Children's Hospital. Claire has also been the co-lead for SPA's Queensland Advocacy Portfolio, where she was instrumental in developing the much-acclaimed Pediatric Communication Milestones poster. She has also created a resource designed to help empower interpreters and speech pathologists to work most effectively together. Claire has actually been presenting on this exciting topic right here at the conference today. And this is a bit spooky but I actually ran into an interpreter working within the speech pathology space last week and she said this resource was really helpful for her so congratulations. Thank you so much Katie. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So I think we might start first um, with a bit of information about your time in the advocacy portfolio. So you were a co-lead for the advocacy portfolio here in Queensland and developed some really amazing resources. So what were some of the things that you learned through this process?
1: Sure. So I think, first of all, I'd have to acknowledge um, the team effort that went into all of the projects that we did, um, including yourself
0: as well. Oh, thank you.
1: Um, because I think at the end of the day, we were all volunteers um, on this branch, and I think that's something that um, not everybody realises. Um, even, you know, the leadership team within each advocacy portfolios, you know, our branch chairs, we're all there in a voluntary capacity. Um, but I think the key learnings um, that at least I I got, I got gained um, from being in in this co-lead role was that essentially you go big or you go home wow, um, I like it. because I think with the for example the communication milestones poster that you spoke about um, I think initially we had the idea of um, only targeting early childhood educators in Queensland which already was a big enough task mm. in itself I think um, but because we had such a diverse mix of skills we had people with amazing networking um, skills as well within that working group um, that we kept sort of pushing this project, kept um, speaking about it not only at a branch level but also taking it up to the national office level and I think it gained so much traction that in the end we rolled out this um, resource not only for early uh, early, um, sorry, early childhood educators um, within Queensland but also nationally and then also for parents and caregivers and the general public. So I think in the end when we produced the final a result, um, the final poster, um, it turned out to be a, re- a resource that was accessible and useful for everybody pretty much in Australia who had a child under the age of five. Um, and so I think through all of that, um, it was amazing to to see and to learn how to utilise everybody's strengths when we mm-hmm. had speech pathologists from so many different sectors um, in these working groups as well. Um, and really you get out what you put in. So all the volunteer effort and time that was put into these projects um, really paid off in the end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to commend you on your fantastic job organising everybody. It Certainly you. would have been a challenge, but we got some great results. Um, so, I've had a few questions from students regarding getting involved with portfolios such as advocacy. Do you have any advice about yeah,
1: that? absolutely. I mean, the way that I got in was I just essentially sent an email and asked. So, the first thing... I think the first thing I did was ask about whether or not I could attend a branch meeting which is held um, once a month um, usually the same day on the same week of it uh, of every month Mm. Um, and through that even just the first time getting to hear what the different working groups or the different portfolios within it um, within the Queensland branch was doing um, I felt really excited so I sent an email to the current um, co-leads at the time asking whether or not I could get involved and essentially I just selected um, uh, one of the advocacy portfolios working groups that I thought I could contribute to and I think at the time they just happened to be looking for a elite for that particular working group not for the portfolio itself but for the working group Right. Um, and being in my first year I think it was my second month out as a new graduate so um, ambitious. Job. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed non-clinical activities as well I think mm. a lot of the um, the training that we receive now in university um, it does set you up in some capacity to work in non-clinical roles as well or at least contribute to non-clinical activities um, you know like the community education projects for example mm. I thought well why not utilize some of those skills and essentially just by asking I ended up Leading um, a project that perhaps some of the more busy and more qualified people in the group um, didn't really have the time to do. But through that as well, then um, when it came time um, for the portfolio to essentially recruit um, mm. a, another volunteer co-lead, then putting my name up for that as well, already demonstrating that I had participated um, yeah. in some of these working groups, um, put me, I guess, in good stead too to um, step up to that role as well. So I don't think students should ever feel like they're underqualified to do mm-hmm. any job. I think you've got the skills um, to do so. I think university and also all of your other life experiences outside of university definitely gives you that level of skill to at least contribute to these um, activities in some way. And it's really rewarding, it pays off. So I definitely encourage all students to try get involved once they, once they graduate or even before they graduate
0: as well. Oh, that's so fantastic to hear. Um, so my next question, Uh, is in regard to your work at the Queensland Children's Hospital. So we mentioned earlier that you've rotated through all four specialist caseloads. One of those was involving cleft palate. Now um, cleft palate is a huge area of interest for our students since we don't really get to hear a lot about it at university. Um, So I thought I would ask, what are some of the most challenging and also the most rewarding aspects of working in this area?
1: It definitely is an enigma when you're, <laughs> when you're at university. I remember receiving my one and only lecture on cleft palate and wondering, how do I get into this field? Um, I think in terms of um, the challenges, um, definitely I think there's a lot to learn. It was my first caseload that I entered into as, as, a, as a new graduate. Wow. Um, and what I was told by um, you know, the team leads, by the seniors in, in that team at Queensland Children's was that you actually do have some of the skills that's needed. Um, you just essentially have to brush up and be really good at the things you already know. For example, transcription, IPA. Um, right. Fun times. <laughs> yeah, brushing up on, you know, you can do a deep. As well, that's definitely something that we do um, routinely as well. You know your anatomy, but essentially now you just need to know your anatomy on steroids. Not on (laughs) steroids medications, (laughs) but as in anatomy on steroids, is that you need to know a lot about anatomy um, and be really um, solid um, in, for example, velopharyngeal function, which Mm. is something that we don't really speak about too much i think at least we didn't um in anatomy and physiology when we were at uni as well um so i i guess the challenge was putting all of that together and then there was that overlying you know the cleft type errors um mm-hmm. that you see um in speech production and then also understanding a bit about the feeding side um of that as well But I think it was such a rewarding experience because um, I think working in cleft palate, it's such a multidisciplinary environment that I didn't realize to begin with. You know, you think cleft palate, speech errors, so we treat them. Mm as speech kids who come into our clinic um, but actually learning about other professions and how these children go through this entire journey from diagnosis all the way through to you know even adolescents when they're still um, getting a lot of their say jaw reconstruction surgeries as well so you're learning a lot about what plastic surgeons do what dentists do orthodontists do oral health therapists you know the clinical nurses that organize all of the clinics um, you know the list just goes on and on Mm. Um, so I found that part of it really rewarding being so fresh out of uni but being able to work in such a large multidisciplinary team
0: yeah what a great Um, experience yeah
1: and I was only ever in the caseload for six months but um, I know the more advanced clinicians in my team have been in in this field for you know longer than perhaps I've been alive (laughs) Um, and the relationships that that they've managed to build with a child who I may be seeing when they're 15 but actually this child was their patient when they were you know 3 months old. And wow. um, when they first came into the cleft clinic or something like that. So I think that part is also quite rewarding.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Um so, I hear that you're moving to the UK quite soon. Very mm-hmm. exciting. Um so, a lot of students are actually interested in making this move, and I've heard a rumor that Australian trained speech pathologists are held in quite high regard over there. So, um I guess my question is, is this true? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, look, I'm yet to find out because I haven't moved over there just yet. Um, but I hope we are. Um, yeah, no <laughs> i'm I'm moving over there to um, primarily to study my masters. So oh. I'll be studying my master's um, in population health um, over there at University College London. but I will I, I do hope to do some part-time work on the side as well mm. as a speech pathologist. and um, from what I've heard from the managers of speech pathology, practices in the NHS, as well as colleagues that have previously been over there, is that I think the reason why, you know, there's this notion that we're held in high regard is because dysphagia competency over there um, isn't necessarily integrated into tertiary level training like it is for us. Um, and so especially in the area of dysphagia, that's a, an additional competency that species over there have to um, have to obtain before they can then work in that area, whereas we get it once we graduate from university Um, and so then when you add something like especially right now I'm working in pediatric dysphagia Mm. so you add that whole another level on top of dysphagia competency and so then you essentially acquire skills over there that are considered specialist. even though I've done it essentially in my new grad position so I think that's why you know Australian trained speech pathologists are so popular over there as well because right. we do have these additional con- competencies um, that otherwise UK trained speech pathologists may not necessarily have
0: that makes sense thanks yeah. for explaining
1: that <laughs> one um, no worries at least that's my understanding of it mm. um but I think in terms of um you asked about the process as as well um oh I actually did it
0: oh <laughs> let me ask you about the process, <laughs> well, I could tell you process. <laughs> so my next question is um what is the process of moving over to the UK Okay, like, is it very difficult? Um,
1: So far, um, I think what I found that it's more, it's not so much difficult, but it's more that you need to allow enough time. So I was advised at the very start that you need to um, allow at least six months um, for everything to come through. So for example, you would be applying for your HCPC um, registration over there. So all health professionals need to be registered over there in order to practice. And that from the time they receive your written application, it then takes another 60 working days for them to process that. And then potentially, if you haven't given them everything they need in writing, they Mm. may need to request for extra information. So that in itself can take many months um, to do. And then, yeah, so you add on top of that, you know, um, visa, your compliance with vaccinations, uh, mandatory training, getting all your referees sorted. Um, So all of that does definitely take some time. Uh, But I think it depends also on how you're going over there to get a job. So I think a lot of people do start off with recruitment agencies. So even um, making sure you're complying with regulations of each um, agency that you sign up with, um, that can be a process in itself. Mm. Um, Some people go over there with existing connections um, and they may apply directly to the NHS or any other speech pathology practices over there. Um, So that can be a slightly different process than signing up with recruiters I think um, from what I've heard there's pros and cons of both um, and so far I've been doing a little bit of everything um, in terms of trying to figure out where the best opportunities are in the areas that I'm interested in um, but yeah I think that's that's essentially what I've heard but all the speech pathologists um, that I've graduated with there's definitely um, quite a few that are already over there it seems like a bit of a rite of passage
0: Oh, thanks for um, explaining all that and talking us through this exciting process for you. No worries. Um, I'd love to say thank you for your time. So uh, we'll definitely miss you here in Australia, but all the best for your time over in the UK. I'm sure you'll accomplish many great things over uh, there. Thank you so much, Katie. No fingers worries. crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Have a lovely day. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.